challenging and creates hymns, encourages me in these desolate, chaotic times. Our opening hymn, as we're welcoming those by way of television and radio, you too, we thank you for your prayers and your support. Thine be the glory, purple number 308, on our diversity.
just want to thank you this morning for the great privilege of being able to agree in prayer. We live in very sleepy, sloppy times. And we made no mistake, there's a storm that's brewing in the country that screams Christianity is the problem. The calls will come if they haven't already for the faithful to step back from cultural engagement, to back away from biblical truths and tradition, reason, and experience. And the battle is raging. The fiercest is for our children and our grandchildren. It's a call to call culture above Christianity rather than Christianity above culture. It's, it's the same argument the left has been using on parents of confused kids. Give in or they'll hurt themselves. To the church it will be back off or they'll hurt others. The inclination will be to move away from biblical truth, the very source of our hope and our freedom as we learned in our Sunday school class, that the confused and the troubled souls of so many. But that's not the way forward in the nation that's so broken and bleeding. As much as the other side would like to manage the chaos by indulging these delusions and passing meaningless legislation, the problem isn't the state of our laws, it's the condition of our hearts. We ask, O oh Lord, that as the bitter truth and deception flows in our midst, destroying the morals of this generation and urgency, acknowledging that we are, we are a broken people in need of a God that oftentimes we push away. We need to listen to your cry. It's a moment to do what the brave officers of Nashville did to confront, to engage the crisis, these aren't law-abiding who sit on the sidelines letting the shooter take aim at more children. They rush straight into the face of danger and protected the weak. And as Christians, we're called to do the same, to confront evil, to disassociate ourselves from the non-biblical status of so many, to confront evil and to protect the vulnerable so that they may know Jesus. That's not easy in a society that's so hostile to truth and the sleepy, creepy offices that are held. We, we do not honor the memories of those who the fake news so often forget. They have them dirt house, the, the Haley Scrubs, the, the William Kenny, the, the Mike Hills, the, Cynthia Peaks and the Captain Poons, by abandoning the faith, they died living. A spiritual battle is raging for the generation, and we will not win if we are silent. We've been called, as Ezekiel was called, to speak the word of God in dark days, no matter how the cost. Be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear it, project to hear for they are rebellious houses according to thy word Ezekiel chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 and for now we are a nation swimming swimming in grief 
but we are called to consider the timing of this tragedy. We are in grief, the Good Friday, the death, the burial of Christ, but we are called to be an Easter people. In this season of empty tombs, we cling to the only hope capable of holding the hurting together. We cling to the hope of John 11, 25, that Jesus is the resurrection and life, and whosoever believes and promotes his name, though they die, yet they shall live. In the wake of unspeakable loss, we rejoice with them that Jesus' death is not the end of his story, and it will not be the end of theirs either. We pray, O oh Lord, for Jeannie Winter Rose and her quick recovery of surgery. Thank you for hopes and proof health. We thank you for others in our midst that, by way of television, radio, other means of communications, we reach out to provide them with support and prayer. As we congregate today to look at option one, our disaffiliation, members are voting, disassociating and disaffiliating themselves from the Methodist Church, who wants to eliminate the R2453 from our Book of Discipline, and it's been a time-honored commitment to Scripture, of being less critical of Scripture, looking forward to Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. We are coming against same-sex marriage, fornication, premarital sex, abortion, adultery. Jesus came not to do away with the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them in spirit and truth. We ask the Lord that you bless our Scripture reveal to us through John 20, chapter 20, verses 19, 23, your word. Drop the blinders from our eyes, and especially from the Christian eyes. Remind us, O Lord, of your sense of your presence. You've taught us to pray and sing together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, ever and ever. Amen. At this time, we ask that you turn in your Bibles to our scripture reading for today. And I was asked to share this message with you by Jeannie Winterold, so if you could listen along as Jeannie shares the condition of her life and the condition of her mother's Scripture, standing on the promises of John chapter 20, verses 19 and following. 
people stand. Father, we stand on your word now. Promises of Jesus as he appears to Mary Magdalene may appear to us. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. We find the presence of Mary there, and we also find where Jesus appears to the disciples in the 19th verse. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and he stood among them, and Jesus said, Peace be with you. Say that word with me. Peace. Peace. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Lift your eyes first at Mary had just visited the tomb, empty tomb, and ran to the disciples of what she discovered there because the Lord, when she visited there, told her to go tell, tell the disciples. They were gathered in her room with the door shut and locked out of fear of the authorities. If they caught them, they'd be under there. So they locked the door. Again, this was a private meeting, but Jesus appeared right there with them. They had gathered in the room for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and Thomas was the only missionary or disciple that was missing. When Jesus appeared in the room, he said, Peace be with you. Now, though they're same words, he spoke to the disciples before his trials and execution. Perhaps they were in the same room. The disciples couldn't really comprehend that the man they just seen executed was sitting there with them. So to further convince them of the reality of the situation, he showed them his wounds, his legs and arms and his side. And he repeated himself, he said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. He continued by bringing the Holy Spirit on him. The word used here for bringing the Holy Spirit on him was emphatic, And that's the same exact word that says it's used in the book of Genesis when God breathed life into Adam and Eve that was the same word he used that, that was what Jesus did to the disciples to give them the Holy Spirit he then said to the disciples the sins of the disciples when they forgave people they would be forgiven that's not because the disciples are we have power because if Spirit is currently with them is actually doing the forgiving on the part of God. They're just announcing it. Even mind the Holy Spirit of God, it's also every Christian. They carry the Spirit within them. They have the power of God within them. Considering that we need to take utmost care and consider it a very serious responsibility that we use that God holds the ability in us responsibly and with discernment. The only announcements we should make on behalf of God is being a part of God in accordance with God's words 
and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't make us powerful as God, but it tells us He can work through us. He's internally operating. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have God's power in us via the Holy Spirit to accomplish the things here on earth that God wants to accomplish. Once again, this passage does not allow a man any authority to forgive sins. The power lies only within God's exclusive domain. Only God can and will do that. Or can and should, I should say. Containing God's powerful spirit allows us to declare on behalf of God via that spirit what the things that remain exclusively within God's realm and power. And we can act towards and with others with our words and actions with that power of spirit of God in us. Example, his words and actions. Thank you, sir. Wonderful job. He takes his responsibilities seriously. So appreciate that. Immediately following or shortly our district superintendent will be arriving and we'll be taking our third and final vote. The first two were almost unanimous. There's been situations where churches have taken a vote and there's been a number of people that have haven't graced the church doors in years to show it up and they didn't acquire it to their vote. Sixty percent and um, we need like sixty six percent of the disaffiliation votes. So we do a unanimous vote and it's the first item of business and he's going to be considering and he needs to take off because there's another church, the Hopkins, Hopkins Korean church is almost unanimous and choice disaffiliate and they're taking their second and final vote. Our scripture today, these verses we have now read, mean hard, very hard to understand things if we were to put ourselves in in the position of those early early disciples. And all, like all the events which followed our Lord's resurrection, can you imagine that first resurrection morning? There's much in the facts before us which are a mystery and requires reverent, reverent handling. The Lord's actions, these actions that were recorded, actions if you're following along, we send out a num number of bulletins per week, and many of you, by the late broadcast, to fill out that outline so you can kind of recover and and be able to share the message to your friends. We appreciate that. So the first entry is our Lord's actions. Can you imagine all the actions of the Lord at post-resurrection? But we have a few of them here. It says, suddenly appearing. Suddenly appearing among the disciples when the doors were closed. They were closed. And he was breathing breathing upon him. May God's breath breathe upon us each and every time we confess those words of Jesus, Jesus is Lord. And in breathing upon them, 
they soon drew together this unspeculative and unprofitable conversation. It's easy in such cases to darken counsel by words. People have words without knowledge. Much like sometimes we have words without proclamation to those by way of television and radio. Sound is important. We, we shall find it safer and wiser to confine our attention to points which are, are plain and points which are very instructive and intuitive. We should observe, for one thing, the remarkable land. Grandparents have four grandchildren. I still recall the first words that they, they said. And I always try to encourage them, not because I sing to them the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone in the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. We entertain the language of those who are learning to speak. Let us look at the language of the scriptures which, with which our Lord greeted the apostles when he first, he first met them with his resurrection. They were deeply grieving. Can you imagine if any one of your loved ones was to come back to life again and you were to recall the first words? We are reminded that he first met them after his resurrection. Twice over, he addressed them with these kindly words, these kindly words, peace. Say it with me, peace be unto you. And we, we may dismiss as unattainable in all probability the, the very cold and, and cautious suggestion that this was nothing better than an unmeaning phrase of language, of, of courtesy. But Jesus, Jesus who spake as, and spoke as never a person before had spoke, said nothing, nothing without meaning. Jesus spoke, we may be sure, we may be sure with special, very special reference to the state of mind of the 11 disciples with special reference to the events of the last days and with a special reference to their future ministry, peace. Oftentimes when I review the, the tape either by my telephone or by way of television and I'll see the video, I'll try to improve on on my language or the ability to project and protect the word of God. Peace, he says, peace. It was peace and not rebuke was the first word which with, with which this little company heard from their master lips after he had left the tomb. I took every public speaking class at was allowed in the university and the seminary, even went to the Guthrie, was among the select few of the actors and projectionists in, in the Guthrie. It was very meek and, and right and fitting that it should be so in, in full harmony with things that 
that had gone before him. He said, peace. You remember when those words were uttered before? Peace on earth was a song of the heavenly host when Christ was born and Gabriel brought forth its words. Peace and rest of soul was the general subject that Christ continually preached for only three years. From the age of 30 to 33 years, three years, peace and not riches had been the great legacy which Jesus had left with the eleven that night before his crucifixion. And surely it was in full keeping with all the tenor of the Lord's dealings that, that when he did revisited his little company of disciples after his resurrection, his first word would be what? Peace. I have a I was reminded there's a little evidently last night there was a little skit that went on in church and there's a little flyer assuming it was a skit in church last night but it is played in the pulpit I just kind of didn't want to walk on it what does it say? I have a sign like that for years. I've gone to bed looking at last time, and I, I get up early in the morning. My best hours of sleep are between 12 and 4. And one of the last things I, I view is a sign similar to that that says peace. One of the first things I see in the morning is that same sign that says peace. It reminds me of Jesus where he gave us peace and not blame, peace and not fault-finding, peace and not rebuke, was the first word which this little company of struggling, unbelieving, desperate, confused, heard from the masters left after they left the tomb. It was meek and right and fitting that it should be so and in full harmony with the things that had gone before him. Some of the first words proclaimed was peace on earth, goodwill to all. Peace and the rest of the soul was a general subject that Christ continually preached for three years. Peace and not riches, but that great legacy which he had left with the eleven that night before his crucifixion. Surely it was in full keeping with all the tenor of the Lord's dealings that when he revisited that little company of disciples after his resurrection, smaller than the company that are here today, his word should be peace. It was a word that would soothe and it was a word that would calm their souls. I've been with many a dying person. And I associate those by some of their last words they spoke as they moved from the temporal to the eternal, from the mortal to immortality, from the perishable to immortality. So peace, we may safely conclude, was intended by our Lord to be the, the keynote closure to the Christian ministry that that same peace which was so continually on the lips of our master was to be the grand subject 
of the teaching of his disciples. Peace between God and man through the precious, precious blood of atonement. Because you break the word atonement down and you can find it to be at one man of God. Peace between person and person through the infusion of that grace and that charity to spread such peace as that was to be the work of the church. Any religion that, like that of other Mohammedans or of cults which converts with the sword is not is not from above but from beneath. Any form of Christianity which burns people at the stake in order to promote their own success carries about with it the stamp of an apostasy. You study hypocrisy in our Sunday school class today. There's close simulation between the, the meaning of apostasy and hypocrisy. That is the about which the concern of the Christian witness is. That is the truest and the best religion which does most to spread real and true peace. We should observe for another thing in these verses the remarkable evidence which our Lord supplies by his own resurrection. He graciously appealed to the senses of their trembling disciples. He, Jesus showed them his hands and he, and he showed them his feet and his sides. He bade them to see with their own eyes and to have had this real material body that he was not a ghost or he's not some form of spirit. He said, handle me and, and see were his words according to St. Luke. A spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. Great indeed was the condescension of our, our blessed master in thus coming down to the feeble faith of these 11, 11 apostles. But great also was the principle which he established for the use of his church. His church. His church. Are you about his church? About his church? This principle, which was established in the church in every way, also returns. That principle is that our master requires us to believe nothing that's contrary, that's truly not contrary to our senses. Things about our reason we must expect to find in religion that comes from God, but not things that are contrary to our reason. And let us lay firm hold on this great principle. I'd like to grow into greater depth, but time is going to a close. Let us pray, O Lord, as we lay firm hold on this great principle, this great scripture, and never, never forget, forget to use it. Especially let us take care that we use it in estimating the effect of the sacraments and the work of the Holy Ghost. To require people to believe that men have the quickening power of the Holy Spirit when our eyes tell us they are living in habitual carelessness and sin, or that the bread and the wine and the Lord's Supper are Christ's real body and blood. When our senses tell us they are still bread and wine, this is to require more belief than Christ ever required of his disciples. It is to require that which is flatly contradictory to reason and common sense. We should observe and let us try not to be wiser than our Lord. 
We should observe, lastly, in these verses, the remarkable commission. We are all commissioned, whether by our presence or on television, radio, YouTube, Facebook, we are all commissioned, which our Lord conferred upon his 11 apostles. We are, we are told that he said, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And, and when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. It's very vain for us to deny that the true sense of these solemn words has been for centuries the subject of controversy and dispute. It is useless, perhaps, to expect that the controversy will ever be closed. The utmost that we can hope to do with the passage is to supply a very profitable exposition. It seems then highly probable that the principle that our Lord in this place solemnly commissioned his followers to go into all the world and to preach the gospel as he preached it. He also conferred on him the power of, the, of declaring with peculiar authority whosoever sins were forgiven and whosoever sins were not forgiven. That this is precisely what the apostles did is, is a simple matter of fact, a fact which anyone may verify for oneself by reading the book of, of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. When Peter proclaimed to the Jews, Repent ye and be converted. And when Paul declared at Antioch and Iconium, To you is the word of salvation sent. Through this man Jesus is preached the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified. They were doing what this passage commissioned the apostles to do. They, they were opening with authority the door of salvation, inviting with authority all sinners to enter in it by and to be saved, according to Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 13. For it seems on the other hand most improbable that our Lord intended in this verse to sanction the peace and the practice of private absolution after private confession of sin. That whatsoever a person may please to say, there is not a single instance to be found in the acts of any apostles using such absolution after confession, calling on some priest to absolve sin. And above all, there is not a trace in the two pastoral epistles to Timothy and to Titus and other epistles of such confessions and absolutions being recommended or thought desirable. In, in short, whatever a person may say about private ministerial absolution, there is not a single precedent for it in God's word. That when we cry out to God ourselves, we do not need to cry out to others. Let us leave this whole passage of scripture with this deep sense of the importance of the of the office of a Christian that office is duly exercised according to the mind of Christ. No higher honor can be imagined than that of being Christ's ambassadors and, and proclaiming that Christ's name provides the forgiveness of sins to a lost world. But let us beware of investing in any ministerial office with one jot 
or power or authority that Christ conferred upon it. To treat ministers as, or priests as being any sense of mediator, mediator between God and humanity is to rob Christ of his prerogative, the highest of saving truth from sinners and to exalt ordained people to a position which they are totally unqualified to fill. Teach us in closing, O Lord, to pray this prayer. Dear, dear Jesus, we acknowledge that we have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Forgive our sins, O Lord. Come into our hearts and minds. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers come forward and wait upon you for your tithes and offerings, let us turn to our offertory prayer and we can join in with prayer that's printed in your bulletin screen. Holy and loving God, you treat us not like the stern disciplinarian, but like the forgiving parent who runs to embrace us when we're rebelled or disappointed. Your mercy gives us the opportunity to try again, to return into your grace, to pick ourselves up and to brush ourselves off. You forget how many strikes we have against us, but invite us back into the inheritance you desire for us. May our offerings this day reflect our gratitude to Christ we pray. Amen. Will you join me in our offertory hymn? It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. Purple number 462 in honor of the birthday of Ray
doxology. Thank you. 